As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Before we crack on with this episode, just a disclaimer that this was recorded on Thursday morning UK time, just as the Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari news was emerging. So we could give that seismic event proper coverage, we decided to hold this episode back. So if you hear us mentioning the Andretti announcement as having been yesterday, you'll know why. Now, on with the show. The Athletic. The race is on, and F1 has finally said no to Andretti Formula Racing's bid to join the grid following its commercial assessment of its application. Amid the inevitable fan uproar, were there legitimate reasons to turn Andretti and General Motors down, and what impact will it have on F1? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and more are Glenn Freeman and Scott Mitchell Mound. Well, Glenn, hello. Thanks for taking a brief break from the Bring Back V10s podcast for this more contemporary topic. I'm actually going to throw your traditional opening question back at you, which is what first leapt to mind when you learned F1 rejected Andretti. That's nice, Ed. I've never received the, the traditional opening question myself. Uh, the first thing that leapt to mind was uh, that 1,400 plus words, which is what F1's statement was, was a very long-winded way of not saying this is about greed when that's exactly what it's about. They could have just given us one sentence, which was that we don't want to um, share the pie with somebody else. We've got 10 teams. Everyone's happy. F1 is now a closed shop. Yep, I think that's a, a reaction that probably plenty of people shared. Scott, how about you? Obviously, another breaking news story, which you're always all over. So after the initial delight that there's something to get your teeth into... What did you think of this? No great surprise to you, I imagine, but I guess the way it's emerged is perhaps a little bit uh, a little bit different to how you might have expected. Yeah, it's one of those that you're waiting a really long time for, and it's the outcome that you kind of expect. But it does, in the moment that it arrives, it's a little bit short notice and and and, and surprising. And I think uh, we did a video on this on our YouTube channel, which is worth checking out. Um, but I think I said there that the the surprise for me almost is in how emphatic uh, the statement was because I, I, I understand Glenn's point. There's a very long-winded way of saying, no, we want to keep our money. Uh, but they were. Ve- it's a very preemptive statement. They know that this is going to be open to a massive challenge from Andretti if that's the way Andretti wants to go, and I, I'm sure it will be. So this super emphatic way of just listing lots and lots of reasons is what kind of caught me out. I, I didn't necessarily expect it to be 
quite so damning of the Andretti application, but I suppose in hindsight, if you're going to say no, you're going to have to have really good reason to say no, which means picking apart and basically eviscerating the application, which in places is what that F1 statement does, rightly or, as I suspect a lot of us agree, wrongly in a few of the places. At least a few of the places. <laughs> and for those who haven't actually read the, the full statement to uh, underline the point, it's very much laid out like a, a legal document or like regulations. There's a lot of definitions in there and brackets. The FI published an invitation. It says the invitation. So it, it's very much that it's it's got a bit of legalese in it as well. So, yeah, very, very clear what they're trying to do here. I must admit my general feeling at first glance was, well, they're always going to say no, and this process comes across a little bit as finding a bunch of reasons why they would say no. However, I think it is important for us to go through the detail. So we're going to get into the reasoning and really interrogate that and see whether that that's a fair reaction. Now, the process was launched last March by the FIA, invited applicants for new entries for 2025 or 2026. Andretti Formula Racing was one of the four to apply and the only one to be accepted after the FIA conducted a thorough review of each team's application. That was announced at the start of October. Then the next phase, which is the one we're talking about, was an assessment by the commercial rights holder, so F1 itself or Liberty Media. And there are fundamentally four reasons laid out in F1's statement, so we'll work through those. Scott, first, F1 states that the most significant way in which a new entrant would bring value is by being competitive. We do not believe that the applicant would be a competitive participant. Break that one down. What do you think of that? Yeah, so this one caught me out when I first read it because I my initial feeling was what business is it of the commercial rights holder to be determining the prospective competitiveness of a new entrant. I, I thought that was a bit of a stretch. And personally, I think it's outside Liberty and F1's remit. Well, exactly. This is absolutely mission creep, isn't it? It's like, we're nothing to do with the technical side. Oh, actually, there's a commercial reason why we're to do with the technical evaluation. Exactly. So the basically what they've done is they've tried to intrinsically tie competitiveness to value. And the argument being that only a, a competitive team can really add value to a championship, and that that's why that's a dangerous thing to say as well. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a it's a big claim. It's it's fraught with peril. It, it needlessly invites a lot of comparisons to a bunch of other no hopers that are already in in Formula One. To be frank, uh, so it's it dodgy ground. I thought personally to to, to begin with. Um, I was also surprised that. Um, they were willing to make that claim when the the competitive prospects or the the competence of the organisation, the chance to be competitive or respectable, whichever word you want to use, because they're basically synonyms at this point, was a prerequisite of the FIA uh, selection, and the FIA gave Andretti the approval. So clear. So immediately, there's division in the detail between F1 and the FIA. They disagree over a fundamental point within the application. The FIA believes that this is an organisation and an application that could produce a competitive product at the end of it, and F1 disagrees. Uh, uh, the logic, and I'd be very interested to hear what you two think of this, because I understand that what was the case then doesn't have to be the case now. But the logic is, or part of the logic, is that one, it would be a, it would have to have a compulsory power unit supply for at least a couple of years, um, which kind of implies that you can't be competitive with a customer engine, and I'm sure at least McLaren would disagree with that. And two, that um, you that they would have to build one car to the 2025 rules while at the same time doing a brand new car to completely different 2026 rules, which is exactly what Haas did when it came into F1. And if memory serves, did a pretty good job in 2016 and in 2017. 
So, I mean, those are the two arguments and they, they don't really stand up to scrutiny for me. It's very, this section that we're talking about is very patronising as well. It, it's, you know, it's, it's look, F1 is looking down its nose at Andretti here. Uh, some of the wording is, is spectacular. Things like uh, the fact that the applicant proposes, uh, as Scott said, to come in for 25, to come in straddling two separate uh, sets of regs, gives us reason to question their understanding of the scope of the challenge involved. Again, that feels like that's not really down to you to question. And who are you as the commercial rights holder to be telling a team whether they uh, are capable or understand the challenge involved? I imagine if I was Michael Andretti, I'd go, of course I understand the challenge there. I'm aware that we'll be building a car to these rules and then we'll be doing it to the other rules. But what I find fascinating, I know we'll come back to GM later, but I think this this approach from F1 applies to to GM as well because... uh, they then go and say, coming to the sport as a new power unit manufacturer is also a huge challenge. Uh, major automotive manufacturers have struggled with this in the past. Uh, it can take a, a manufacturer a number of years to be uh, of significant investment in order to become competitive. Uh, and it says, OK, GM have got the resources, but success is not assured. I'd love to know if any of that wording was involved in the discussions when they were trying to get Audi and other new manufacturers in. I doubt they were saying to them, you know, it's really difficult and expensive. You're probably not going to be able to be successful. It's just when it suits them, suddenly F1's really difficult. And actually, if you're a manufacturer, you have to be really careful because you might not be any good at it. That, again, this just feels like changing the narrative when it suits them. The one thing I would say, and this is not necessarily in F1's defence, but I, I, I think it's an important thing to to have in the back of our minds while we're discussing this and while people are listening to this and basically anything around the discussion when it comes to comparing Andretti coming into F1 as a new team versus someone buying into an existing team and trying to coax them into an existing team or discussing the, the merits or lack of merits of the existing teams themselves is that it is... It is ultimately a different argument when you're looking at what you try and do with the existing 10 teams versus a new team coming in, purely because F1 has has just made it so clear they're just not interested in a level of team. And I disagree with that. I would love for the grid grid to grow if there's a proper applicant. And I, I have my doubts about some elements of Andretti and General Motors, for sure. But I, I think that is absolutely the kind of team you should be opening the grid up to. But if you're looking at it uh, just the example that you gave there, Glenn. So when you're trying to tempt Audi in, for example, that was always likely to be coming in as a partner or taking over an existing team rather than doing their own brand new one. I'm sure, given it would have been an out-and-out works team from the beginning, like F1 has hinted at with General Motors for 2028, they'd have let F1, them in. They would have let them in because it was a full-on works team. But you just you can just let things slide when it's or they. Their attitude is you can just let these things slide when you're dealing with the people that are already in the championship, where the structure already exists, where it doesn't impact the piece of the pie that you're getting, um, where all that does is strengthen one of those existing quote unquote franchises. And that to me has always been the effectively the, the, I don't know if it's the only argument, but it's certainly the strongest argument for the franchise model is if you make it a closed shop, you need to parlay that into making the existing teams much stronger. But my problem, and I've, I've, I've written this and I think I've said this on the podcast, which is why my attitude to it has changed, is that the, my concern is I see some issues with two or three of the quote-unquote franchises that suggest actually the opposite's happening. 
They're not using this to massively improve. Sauber is. Sauber has played an absolute blinder by getting um, getting Audi involved in the in the way that they have. But you're your, your damn Visa Cash App Red Bull, or sorry, Visa Cash App RBF1 team, whatever it is, um, and whatever's going on with Haas at the moment, and a little bit of concern I have over what Renault thinks its works team's purpose is in Formula 1, these just feel like entities that are happy to just stick around and cash in on the fact that they're protected entities. I understand the philosophical argument why people are invoking some of the teams on the grid, but I, I think it's a little bit irrelevant to this specific argument. It's a philosophical argument, certainly tied to this, but... I'm trying to really look at the specific detail. And one thing that really caught my eye on this is we've referred to the fact they said they had to be competitive. So you might ask, well, define competitive. And they set a stratospherically high bar because item nine under the general heading on it says that being competitive constitutes in particular by competing for podiums and race wins. Now, it's not emphatic about this. So are you saying for any new team that ever comes in, they've got to be fighting for podiums and race wins immediately, that you're not allowed a ramping up period? Very, very, uh, very, very high bar to set as far as I'm concerned. Too far. And then you say, well, did Andretti know that was the bar straight away? Because there's a big difference between doing that quickly and doing that on a reasonable timeline in a hugely complicated F1 competition. I think that clearly is the bar that they're setting. And that's very deliberate because they never want to let anyone in ever again. And they know that is unachievable. If Audi had come in with its own 11th entry as a full-on works team, throwing all the money they could at it, they wouldn't be competitive at that point. Nobody would. So that, that it is about now. This is F1 setting an unattainable bar so that nobody can ever come in again. What I find fascinating, we're going to get on to talking about value of the championship and how... Andretti would need to be competing for wins and podiums to add value to the championship. Well, last year, we only really had one team that was competing for wins. So I'd, I'd love to know if F1 there is actually admitting that the value of the championship last year was damaged by the fact that it wasn't very competitive at the front. Yeah, it feels a little bit like we like we've touched on a couple of times. You can pick and choose your arguments to, to, to suit this rejection, but... The problem with that is that those arguments then do shine a very harsh spotlight on some other areas of Formula One, like the competitiveness last year, like, as I say, two or three of the other teams on the grid, that inevitably you are going to to, to, to say, well, hang on a second, if you apply this logic to Andretti, then surely you hate some of your existing teams because they're customers or because they're not they're not competitive. And again, I, I, I stress, because I, I do believe this to a, to a degree, it is different. It is, it is different for an existing team that is either work like some of these teams that are working through um rebuild plans these are you know long-term projects they that teams that were on their knees at the start of the covid pandemic that are having investment in them like i'm not gonna i'm not going to levy the oh well andretti's not fighting not capable of fighting for wins and podiums so why 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 don't we just bin off williams and because obviously williams there's a very clear plan there but i do genuinely think you can apply that to to Haas or to the second Red Bull team, for example. And there are some signs that Red Bull are trying to fix that. But my point my point is that if you're so determined to, in, to enshrine the competitiveness of your teams, you have to be taking more seriously the warning signs that some of your other teams don't actually, that the owners of them don't care about being competitive. The, the people in those teams do care. Absolutely, and they're they're good people. But the people that own them, I think, are just happy being as being in that closed shop. I think F one's set itself up for a bit of a fall here. This is so detailed. We now effectively have F one's blueprint for what it considers to 
uh, equal value in the championship, not just for a new entrant, from just at the F1 product as a whole. There's lots of things in here that you can now hold F1 to account over. So there will be things about the way the championship plays out, the competitive picture of the teams, everything about the way F1 does business. There are things in here we can go, well, hang on a minute. Six months ago, when you got rid of Andretti, you told us X was really important. Um, you're now doing this thing or you're allowing this thing or this thing hasn't happened or we don't have enough competitive teams. There's so much in here now that I think we'll come back to buy F1 over years to come unless it ends up in a magical situation where all 10 teams are fighting for wins and podiums. I'd agree with that completely. And I think it's it reveals something of a concern that I do have about Liberty Media under Stefano Domenicali. I don't think there's great confidence in the product there. And this is vocalising that to an extent. And I think that's a little bit dangerous. I think if, if you were someone who was a shareholder in the next investors meeting, it would give you some quite interesting questions to ask about what you're investing in. And that's what I'd be doing if I was uh, a shareholder in F1, which I hasten to add. Uh, I, I am not. But let's move on to the second key point, Glenn, which states that while the Andretti name carries some recognition for F1 fans, our research indicates that F1 would bring value to the Andretti brand rather than the other way round. What do you think? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, as I say, I, I assume usually if, it's, if there's somebody they want to come into F1, whether it is a new team or even just sponsors, uh, a race, a broadcaster, that's kind of the deal. F1's massive and people get involved in F1 because it is of a benefit to them. I, I don't think I've ever seen it portrayed this way around. You know, when, when F1, if F1's selling to Heineken, for example... They want a load of their money, but then they're going to say, here's how being associated with us will benefit your brand. They're not, they don't go into meetings of other people saying, well, what are you going to do for us? I know there's a part of that, like, you know, sponsors or partners have to, you know, increase engagement and, and they have to be seen to be active and doing something to benefit F1. But ultimately, F1's a massive brand. And again, I know we keep coming back to Audi, but this applies to them as well. F Audi wants to do F1 because it thinks it will boost its standing in the wider sort of public perception. Obviously, the element that's different there, I, I can understand that F1 doesn't see what Andretti does for them. They've and I'd love to see the research, you know, <laughs> was it a bunch of guys in suits sitting in a boardroom going, well, are we that impressed that Mario Andretti's son wants to bring an F1 team in? Probably not. Right, there's the research done. Um, so... I I get half of that statement, but I find the uh, the bit <laughs> I, I find it laughable that it's a problem that uh, Andretti would benefit from being in F one. That's why everybody gets involved in F one. It's nonsense. Also, the two things aren't mutually exclusive. Like you can like like the whole point of it is is that it's meant to be it, it's meant to be beneficial to, to to both parties. And if you if you're looking at it like like. <sighs> It's it just it seems needlessly dismissive of what F one would get out of it, and the point I've made elsewhere is like, what 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 do you need? What does your name need to be? Because okay, Andretti's not Ferrari, but what is? And even Ferrari, that's why Ferrari's still in F one, is because it gets so much out of it. So I don't I don't understand. Like just building on the point that you were making, Glenn, it's it's part of the pitch it's part of the pitch that you make to anyone that you want to bring in but it is it's also just reality like that this idea that that you that it's bad 
I'm just trying to wrap my head around it, which is why I'm kind of rambling. But like, you're arguing that the Andretti name brings something, but not a lot, and not as much as the F1 name brings Andretti. But all that means is that both sides get something out of it. Like, that's your argument. And I just think that, I don't think that's a particularly strong claim. And you just you just come across as needlessly quite arrogant and dismissive because it does make it sound like just going, oh, I kind of heard of the Andrettis, but I don't really know what they're about or, you know, what, what we get out of them. And I, I find that quite odd when I said it on the video and I, I think people should go and, and, and watch that video if they can because it is... It, it was quite a good chat. Um, but what what do you think Mario Andretti's been doing? Like, it's not like he's been in a hole for the last 20 years and he's this anonymous champion from the 70s that no one's ever heard of. Like, the Andretti name is, like, so even when I was growing up, was a bit almost synonymous with speed. It was like, the, it was like a... It was like a simile or metaphor that you could use for, for speed. And Mario's still around. Like, he still turns up. He still gets paid by race promoters to attend their races to add prestige to them. Yeah, he goes. So he's always, he's like, especially Austin, for example. Like, he's always very visible at these races. I'm pretty sure he's handed out podium trophies as, as well. So I just find that ridiculous. Because if, if, if it was just... Oh, well, Mario is relevant, but this Michael guy, we don't know a lot about him. And like, one, disrespectful to Michael's own racing career, but also it just overlooks completely the fact that Mario's still around and relevant. Yeah, he's culturally relevant outside motor racing in the US still. Okay, not at peak cultural relevance for him, but still he is a name that, you know, if a, if a cop pulls you over and does the, the European version is, the, oh, who do you think you are, Michael Schumacher or whatever, when you're speeding. The, the American version is, oh, who do you think you are, Michael Andretti. So culture, Mario. It, it, Mar- Mario Andretti. <laughs> well, if, if you're in Toronto, they might ask Michael Andretti because he was always winning in, in <laughs> Toronto. Fair. But yeah, I mean, I think the name value, I don't think is a trump card for, for this entry. But on top of a team that's proved certain other things... I don't think you can really knock what the Andretti name brings. There's a thought experiment. Can anyone think of an entity that could come in and satisfy this need purely to bring value to F1 and not take it out, uh, big, give a big, big, big net gain? What entity can do that if a combination of Andretti and General Motors? General Motors, the biggest car company that has never been in Formula One. It's the sixth or seventh biggest car company at the moment, depending on what metrics you've used, if you, if you look around at, at those measures. But what, what company, what car company, what wider company, what person could clear that bar? Brad Pitt. We've already had the answer, haven't we? <laughs> only, if it, only if it's a fictional team. Well, that which tells you everything you need to know. But I think the point, and it comes back to like what I was saying earlier, that hint of the 2028 stuff, and like that they would look slightly differently on an out-and-out works team that they were totally convinced by. But there's something about this that screams to me that the way that Michael Andretti's conducted himself, the, the way that they're going about the project... The way that in F1's eyes they're underestimating the challenge and the fact that it's not going to be an out-and-out General Motors works team for a few more years, that just means that you, you can't. As a customer, a new customer team cannot join the grid. That, that, that to me is the only logical conclusion from this. But I wouldn't rule out a works team being let in. So that's the bar for me. I think, and I, and I think, uh, dangerous to say, but I think that the criteria would be different. For I guarantee they'd lower the bar for for a works team. If True. Audi hadn't been able to get on the grid with Sauber, 
they'd have they, they, this level of scrutiny wouldn't have been applied to an Audi works team to expand the grid to 11. Yeah, that's true. However, what it also says is if it says this is really difficult. However, if you're going to come in as a manufacturer, you're not allowed a preparation period. You can't say, do you know what? We want a couple of years just concentrating on building up the team infrastructure and the chassis side, etc. while we work on the power unit. That means, right, you've got to come in and have it even harder. You've got to hit the ground with a brand new team if you're a brand new team rather than buying an existing team, which, of course, is what we know F1 really wants to force manufacturers to do. So that that's, again, a very, very high bar. And the reason I keep talking about the high bars is you've got to keep in mind this is a process. The application was opened. And a really important thing that we'll get onto later is, was this kind of a fair process? Because that some of this is about Andretti specifically, some of this is generically about an 11th team. So that's all quite important to, to remember. But yeah, the, the, the bars rise, notwithstanding the fact that no matter what we say about the future, there's a new Concord agreement coming from 26 onwards, who knows what the landscape will allow at that point so you could kick the can down the road and you seal it off completely so th- this is this is really difficult one thing i will say is like you scott i i do have some question marks over the andretti organization's ability to do this primarily because it's very very difficult but there's a, a few implied things in this statement one of which is that the suggestion that maybe gm's power unit project isn't quite as committed as has been made out that's not stated emphatically though because I would say if you've got a team that can say, right, and then we will have the power unit in this year, the, the, the wording's a bit woolly in it. So that's a legitimate question if you're talking about the value, if there's some uncertainty about the manufacturer. But I think when it comes to the Andretti name, yeah, and a, a team with a name and nothing else isn't, shouldn't be let in, no matter what that name is. That's fine. But this, this I, don't think, I don't think this is top of the list of reasons to interrogate, but it seems a little bit offhand, I think. And I think the Andretti name is good for F1, so is GM for that matter. Let's move on to the third one now, Scott. And I'm again, again, I'm going to quote from the, uh, the release here that says, The addition of an 11th team would place an operational burden on race promoters, would subject some of them to significant costs, and would reduce the technical, operational, and commercial, and commercial spaces of the other competitors. All true. Doesn't make it relevant. Doesn't mean it's a doesn't mean it's a valid argument. To, to, that's just that's just the case. We've got space for at pretty much. Well, first of all, I think it's important to stress that the regulatory framework for F one and and or the Concord Agreement allows for up to twenty six cars. The regs the allow twenty six cars, and Concord, I believe, allows twenty four cars from so, two car teams. So it, it's in there. Yeah, a, a track needs to be able to hold. 26 cars so i'm i'm slightly confused how those two things can can coexist how you can have a setup that demands effectively that the championship can accommodate this many cars and then one of your reasons is i don't think we can accommodate four fewer cars than the regulations demand that we we're allowed to to let in but also just we have seen um the commandeering of garages at certain tracks for different purposes, promotional or hospitality purposes. F1 has a, a hospitality area in one of the garages. It's very nice. Um, I wouldn't have it there over an extra team, but so be it. And as you know, Glenn made the point earlier, we've also had an entire set of garages with very nice looking equipment dedicated to a completely fictional team for the filming of the Apple F1 movie starring Brad Pitt that Lewis Hamilton's in. Involved There's often these, a Pirelli hot laps garage as well. Yeah, so and, that, and that could of, be that could be run from a separate unit potentially. Yeah, and and all of these things are great for F1, and they and they are part of that the 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 bigger picture where it's it's grown and it's better at the commercial and hospitality stuff than it was under Bernie. Like the Liberty era is better for 
schmoozing people and making it a really nice place to be and growing the championship in that way. But that should never, in my opinion, come at the expense of the sporting capability of the championship because I view this as a sporting endeavour first. But, but Liberty and F1 don't see it that way. It's a business first. So they look at this purely as, can we use this space now in business terms, better than using that space to let an 11th team in. And their argument's going to be yes, because they can make money off the space as it is. So like I say, it's a it's valid in, it's a valid argument in that it's true, but it's not valid in that it's pretty nonsense. <laughs> when I read this bit, the the race that came to mind for me, is Zanvoort the issue here? Like the, Zanvoort's the definitely one, yeah. seem to barely fit in that pit lane, so I can imagine that one would be difficult. Monaco's tricky as well. Oh, it'd be so funny. It would be funny if they put and if they let Andretti in, but they're up in the F2 paddock for Monaco. Well, they could do the old <laughs> thing. They used to at Monaco with F1. If you were one of the minor teams there wasn't space for, you'd be in that car park round, you know, sort of you walk, go down the end of the paddock and turn Yeah, that's right. what Scott's talking about, isn't he? The F2 paddock. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that is the F2 paddock, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you might end up in a multi-storey car park, which uh, isn't ideal, but yeah, it's... Again, if I was Andretti, I'd be saying collectively to F1, I'd be saying, well, hang on a minute, if there's not space for an 11th team, that's nothing to, that's nothing to do with Andretti. Yeah, it's not their that's problem. Nothing, it's not their problem. Process shouldn't have been opened if there wasn't an 11th team. I know F1 didn't open the process, but you've got to look at this from the Andretti perspective of, yeah, is that within the realms of evaluating what it brings? I don't think so. I think that's just, uh, yeah, it's a problem that's been cited a lot, but I, I think it's far from... Uh, <laughs> insurmountable let's get on to the fourth reason glenn now which is we were not able to identify any material expected positive effect on crh financial results as a key indicator of the pure commercial value of the championship this one sounds spreadsheety oh yeah uh it's another one that's really telling i think uh it tells us that uh in terms of measuring its own commercial value f1 actually only really cares about the bottom line so like you say it's spreadsheety and ju- they'll be judging their success, and I think this is very narrow-minded in a modern entertainment and sporting climate that we live in now, to purely judge whether you're doing a good job on how much money you're making. There's a lot more to it. And for a while, that can be good, especially when you're coming, I think now, coming off the back of the um, pandemic, drive to survive, 2021 boom in interest that F1 has got. And it will take a while for the downward trends to to take effect and i just have a slight concern that f1's a little bit blind to the fact that uh because all the numbers are good because all the finances look good at the moment they don't maybe have as many problems as as they think they do and if you're judging your success and your commercial value purely on um how much money you're making that would suggest you're not that worried about what your fans think and i would say the fan reaction to what's happened here would suggest that F1 needs to be much more aware of that because how much of the fan reaction has, hasn't has just been anger towards what's happened here, but there, there are people kind of viewing this as a last straw. There's multiple things that have happened in F1 that people are getting fed up with, one of which, to come back to something that's in F1's statement, is the competitive picture at the front and the lack of a, a fight at the front, the lack of enough challenging teams. People are getting fed up with a product and then something like this happens and that's tipping people over the edge. What F1's saying here is as long as the the spreadsheets are fine, they're not going to take any of that into account. So again, another dangerous thing that I think is in this statement. Yeah, my concern, which ties in exactly to that, is that 
this shows that it's not just business first, it's business miles ahead of any other consideration. It's ironic that it, this is basically the only scenario in which F1's attitude isn't more is better, because that is its attitude across the board elsewhere. And I have a big concern, and I'm not a I'm not an, an F1 shareholder, I'm not part of the Liberty Board, so this is probably why I care about this and they don't. Um, but I have a concern with what kind of F1 that this is heading towards, because it says to me that F1 is moving towards a bloated calendar filled with sprint races that existing fans are at the very best lukewarm about. The calendar will continue to increase its ratio of controversial, bland, identikit street tracks. I don't know if either of you have seen the onboard of um, the Madrid circuit, but you could put you could tell me that that's Miami, arguably. Sochi but that's obviously a long time ago but you could tell you could tell me that that was Miami or Vegas or Madrid and I wouldn't be able to tell you which which one it is because they're it's exactly, exactly I the think same. I've seen it but it could have been any of those exactly <laughs> um and it's an F1 that is increasingly uncompetitive at the front uh and now it's at a point where there's just no interest in there's no interest in broadening the entry base unless it fulfills a really, really specific, borderline impossible set of criteria, or is this mythical, immediate, short-term successful works team, which I don't think is going to happen. And I just think it shows that there's a there's there's been a, a big creeping for a while between the business rationale of F1 and the sporting side, and I feel like that gulf is now bigger than ever. And my my big concern honestly is I don't really know if it's can be reconciled now I fear it might have gone too far and we're now just going to have to accept that as long as this is F1's ownership and way of doing things those that business sporting side is never going to be aligned properly again which just means existing fans feel more and more marginalized and there's this there's this blind chasing of quote-unquote new fans because there are certain metrics that are being prioritised above others that convince the decision makers that they're doing the right thing because they're seeing increased ticket sales or they're seeing specific TV number increases in certain regions on certain channels and they're seeing certain corporate sponsors that want to be involved because they love the schmoozing. Like Those are all the metrics that they care about and none of the ones that we care about, to be honest. Adding their TikTok numbers to their social media stuff. Going, oh, yeah, all the numbers are up. So, yeah, you've got a new platform over there with inflated numbers. <laughs> well, And the, the other big problem is that the unstated thing in all of this is we know Formula One from the start did not want an 11th team, certainly not Liberty Media. The other teams don't want it. The teams are not formally part of this process, but they are a pretty powerful lobby group, let's put it that way. Plenty of them are on record as saying they don't want extra teams because it will divide up the pot more. So this quote I did at the start about the pure commercial value is basically talking about the total worth of Formula One. But really important is the the worth of the, the existing teams, etc. And again, this comes down to... A, I, I agree there should be a high bar for new teams. I, my personal view is Formula One should be aspiring to get an 11th and 12th team on the grid. They should set a high bar. However... A bar should be clearable. And again, 
this dismissal of the value of a, of an eleventh team, an American team, is is very, very, uh, very questionable. So, yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it, it's problematic because there's so many different arguments here. There's what they've said. There's what's really going on, and then there's the wider philosophical questions. And the Venn diagram of of those things and Andretti's relevance and interest isn't actually a complete overlap. There's lots of things that are addressed here that are actually completely irrelevant to Andretti in terms of the legitimacy of their application. A lot of this is about F1's readiness for an 11th team. So that raises some questions as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Scott, now let's get on to the one tiny glimmer of hope that was extended to GM and Andretti. Because this statement also said, we would look differently on an application for the entry of a team into the 2028 championship with a GM power unit, either as a GM works team or as a GM customer team, designing all allowable components in-house. Now, this is on the basis that such a team would bring value. So what is the reasoning for this? What does it actually mean? Uh, Well, (laughs) I've quickfire run through what I think are three elements to it. One as we've hinted at several times and, and spoke, actually spoken about explicitly a few times already in this podcast, the perceived value of an out-and-out works team from the start is clearly bigger. So, okay, you can't enter as a works team for 25 or 26 as you want. We understand that. But you're aiming to do it for 2028 because that's when GM thinks it can have an engine ready for. So do it then. And then we will look at it differently because it's a different argument. And basically the implication is you might get in then. So there's that element. It's just that a works team is more sought after than than a customer team. Spurious and serious arguments that they've made combined because I don't believe necessarily some of the points made about the the damaging the standing of F1 by being a short-term customer, but whatever. The second element relates to the Concord Agreement and the Anti-Dilution Fund, which is the fee that all the t- uh, that the new entry has to pay, all the existing teams, basically as a form of short-term compensation for the money that they lose, sharing the pie with an 11th team, theoretically waiting for that pie to get bigger because the new teams come in and added value to F1. That, value, that fee at the moment, the figure stands at $200 million, but there's talk of raising it almost basically potentially three, threefold for the next set of Concorde. And if Andretti entered in 2028 with General Motors instead of 2025, which is when the current Concorde uh, includes, then it would have to pay potentially three times as much to the existing team. So that's a lovely little convenient boost for them. And then the final point, which is something that Mark Hughes raised, um, which I think I, I think I definitely agree with, um, is that... Um, Offering that little carrot of 2028 could be a lovely sweetener for please let this go now. Please don't drag this out and make it a legal battle because if you if you if you play ball now and you do it like this when we're saying that this is going to be better, there's a seat at the table at the end of all of this for you. And the implication obviously would be if you're going to make life difficult for us now, then why on earth would we look favourably on you in the future? That's a good point actually. That um, you know we we have to remember that Andretti early on when it has been trying to get onto the grid and back when it was trying to buy Sauber and that sort of thing, it did rub F1 up the wrong way by being a bit too brash about it. They did get back in their box once they were told to. Um, so I, I guess there's a little bit there. The 
I think, Ed, you used the phrase earlier, kicking the can down the road. I think that's exactly what this is. And it is because of the Concord Agreement. The When there's a new Concord Agreement, I think this, what we keep calling a franchise model, this, this closed shop of 10 teams, is going to be as as much as po- is, pos- is possible to do, that is going to be enshrined in the Concord Agreement. So as Scott says, there would be an exception for a full-on massive in-house works project, I'm sure. But I really, really think that it is, if we think it's, uh, F1's logic makes it almost prohibitive for anyone to get in now, that is going to be a lot different under the next Concord Agreement. Actually, someone uh, someone we all know uh, had an off-the-record lunch with an F1 team boss before Christmas, and this stuff came up, uh, and that team boss uh, was emphatic that Andretti wouldn't get in during this process, which has now come true. And they also said, and then we're going to, basically F1 is going to rewrite uh, the terms to make sure no one can get in in the future. So that's why I said at the very start of this, I said F1 is now a closed shop. And uh, I think that's that's going to be true. And then, so Andretti might be told to come back later on, but unless they come back effectively running GM's full on proper works operation, they haven't got a chance. And I think you have to be really careful with this sort of thing. One of my uh, favourite pieces of advice and things to say to anyone is you can only deal with what's on the table right now in terms of an offer. Some vague, you know, this applies to almost everything in life. It applies to individuals' pay discussions at work and that kind of thing. Everything from that up to Formula One team applications. You can only deal with what is specifically on the table and offered now, not some sort of vague, oh, down the line, this will happen, because all the prevailing conditions can change. So I'm not sure how useful that will be. Again, I would suggest this implies a or at the very least we can infer from this that there are doubts in F1 about how serious the GM engine projects and how serious the GM works stuff really is. But again... Well, it did appear on the scene late, didn't it? Exactly. This was an Andretti entry and then kind of went, oh, by the way, we found these guys because they thought being affiliated with a manufacturer would be what got them over the line. Yeah, so there's a legitimate question there about whether there's a bit of smoke and and mirrors here. There there is one other thing in the statement I think is worth just lobbing in, which is that there's 0.4 early in it refers to, and this ties to the point about the way Andretti have conducted themselves, where F1 says, having considered the the responses, we extended an invitation to an in-person meeting at our offices in order for the applicant to present its application, but the applicant did not take us up on this offer. Now, that was a, a communication on the 12th of December. We don't know exactly on what basis they invited them. There's every chance that it was clear that this was to say no and to discuss future things. But there's a clear barb there, isn't there, Scott, saying, well, we asked you to come around and have a chat to us. You haven't done it. So this, to me, is a, is a very clear, you've not played the game. And here we're going to throw in something very clear we've done that can that can be used as a bit of a stick to beat you with. So th- th- there's... There's legitimate question marks about Andretti's conduct, although this is a very, very, very vague point here. And I'm sure Andretti down the line will clarify exactly what they were invited to and why they didn't attend. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that if the if the correspondence was sent on December the 12th and said, um, we invite you to a meeting at our offices in London on on December the 13th, then like, fine, then I, <laughs> it's not really an offer. I'm sure that wasn't. I'm sure that wasn't the case. But this very much stands out to me as one a link to what I said earlier there's something about Michael Andretti and his conduct that F1 just doesn't like and it feels a little bit like this all goes back to do you remember the first Miami race where he was going around the paddock trying to get pe- the team bosses to sign something to basically say let them in 
um, and it's just like that's just not the way you do things. Don't you don't you don't do your public lobbying. Like if you if you're serious about this, ask to come and meet us all and make a presentation. Come to an F1. That's what one of the team bosses told me like a couple of years ago. So why haven't they just asked to come to an F1 commission meeting? Because actually, I think a few of us would be well open for that and just to just just to hear them out. Um, and then the second thing it hints at is very much a. It, it's it's so that if this does end up being challenged legally, I'm sure that there's an element of it where it's just like they can hold that up and just say, well, we gave them a chance to make a better, clearer case and to answer some stuff and they, they chose not to. So they either weren't taking this seriously or they didn't feel that they, that again, that it shows that they misunderstood the severity of what they're doing because they should have taken every opportunity to convince us. Yeah, so I found that a fascinating little dig when I when I saw that. And I think, again, it's indicative of this statement is F1 loading up with as anything it can find, you know, digging out anything it can get that it thinks makes Andretti look bad. And I think F1 is fully, fully prepared for Andretti to, to try and fight this. So what we can effectively see here is F1 preparing its case to be challenged. Yeah, very, very much so. And it'd be interesting to see the the next move made by uh, by Andretti. They did put out a statement saying that they uh, they they strongly disagree with the contents of the uh, the information Formula One put out, and they said they're very proud of their pro uh, their progress, etc. Mario Andretti said he's devastated, but can't really say. Uh, much else at this stage probably because he doesn't want to get himself into into trouble so yeah interesting to see what happens there because all of this is a bit of an outline of, of F1's legal position but we've also got to talk Glenn about the politics of this and actually the the F1 politics this is the centre of this whole thing as far as I'm concerned it's one of the big underlying stories the process was launched last March by the FIA effectively in defiance of F1's wishes so is Andretti just a pawn in the bigger political battle? A bit, yeah. And the thing is, the moment this process was launched by the FIA president on Twitter, I think he just sent out randomly sent out a tweet with no. Uh, it was it was called Twitter back then. It's fine. Um, we all found out, I think, within minutes of that, or certainly you guys did from your digging, that yeah, F one wasn't on board with this process, and the indications from the very beginning were pretty much that no matter what the FIA approves. F1 wasn't going to. Now, maybe Andretti should have been wiser to that and realised that was the case and not gone through with this. Maybe they just thought, well, no, we're going to do a great job. We're going to be so good that we become irresistible and F1 has to accept us. But I saw there were people when the uh, official rejection came out yesterday saying, why is anyone surprised uh, that they've been rejected. I don't think those of us that have been tracking this from the very beginning were surprised. We feel lots of things about this. Surprise isn't one of them because there's been an indication from the very beginning that F1 would never be on board with this. And that is a bad look for F1 itself. And I don't just mean the Liberty Media F1 entity. I mean, Formula One as a sport, as a whole, that is not good because you've got two major, major parts here. You're two, in a way, most... Two of your three most important stakeholders are not on the same page. So Andretti are unlucky to be a victim of that, certainly. I think probably Andretti put too much confidence in the FIA getting it over the line, potentially, because the reason this was launched in the first place is all part of Mohammed Ben Salem's wider power play, effectively. He's trying to assert FIA as the custodian, the landlord, the regulator of the championship. So that's why he basically forced this process to launch and it, it defies 
what F1 wanted because they never wanted it to uh, to be launched at this stage. And some of the stuff in this verdict is all pre-existing stuff in terms of F1's outlook that was there. So that's part of it. And F1 primarily will be looking at this as saying, well, FIA was wrong to launch this in the first place, so this was always going to happen. So in their own little enclosed world, that they they feel they've done the right thing. But this is about more than that. And if you're Andretti and considering what action you take, because they've invested a huge amount of money in this. They've got over 100 employees. They've got a wind tunnel model, as was, was shown recently, and they're doing tests. So a lot has been invested in this. And it all fundamentally comes down to, was this a, a genuinely open process when it was launched? And regardless of whether F1 never wanted it and FIA did, talking about F1 as the whole entity, which is fundamentally, as Concord enshrines, it's three elements. It's the teams, it's F1, it's the FIA. But within that, F1 as a whole did open invitations to other teams. So it'll all come down to to the detail as well about whether that was an acceptable process and whether Andretti were going into a fair process that had a chance of of winning. And that'll come down to a lot of the wording in in some of the stuff that hasn't been released that will have that they will have responded to in terms of right this is what you've got to prove so that that's an interesting one but it's it's a wider political battleground and the problem is with politics is often politics matters a lot more to those engaged in the politics than everybody else and that's that's the big problem for me the the way i see it with where andretti goes from here and that political element is that they'll (sighs) I'd be surprised if they don't feel misled by the FIA. Um, you've got the element of uh, it felt for a long time like Mohammed Ben Salayem was cozying up to Andretti and saying, I'm your friend, I'm your ally, stick with me, I'll get this done for you. Talking very positively in public about the Andretti and, he, and even saying, like, how can we say no to this? Which I thought was extraordinary for the FIA president and the man who had opened the expressions of interest himself I I do feel like there'll be specific elements of what F1 has said as an organization now that Andretti will be targeting but there has to be an element of targeting the FIA as well for starting a process that sort of they either misled Andretti in terms of the likelihood of it coming off or was just just didn't do the process the way they're meant to because I'd be fascinated to know if there's actually something somewhere that says to to start the expressions of interest, you should have both parties aligned or something like that. I, I suspect it's not quite so explicit, but it is interesting that the, the details of that and, and that whole political element is is such a minefield to try and navigate with this kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the important thing is with the, the politics side is this is at the heart of everything. This is what this was always about in F1 terms. And I do think... Uh, Overall, there's a big question about whether Andretti's been used as, as the political football and got caught in the middle of a, a wider battle there. So they've potentially got some reason to uh, have some doubts about about what's gone on. I'm very interested to see what their next move is. They can feel aggrieved, can't they? Exactly, exactly. And it's worth noting as well, the FIA has put out a uh, not especially uh, illuminating statement, but they say they've noted the announcement from uh, F1 and they're engaging in dialogue to determine the next steps. So obviously that also says we're not wholeheartedly behind this because we need to decide what's going on next. And this is this is huge because the, the schism with FIA and F1 is getting bigger and bigger. And I think as a general point, 
those two parties need to actually get their act together and work together properly because both pointing at the other now saying, oh, they're wrong, we're great. And I don't think that's acceptable for F1. I think that's bad custodianship of F1 for both sides of the coin. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, let's quickly look at the wider impact on F1. Glenn, you've already suggested this isn't a great look for F1, so I think we could predict roughly what your view is. But what what does this mean for F1? Is this is this a spectacular own goal? Yeah, and I think they need to realise that they've got some damage limitation to do here, at the very least, and probably some some repairing of uh, of, of their relationship with their fan base to do. And I don't think that's all going to be solved by a new series of Drive to Survive. I, I, I do feel that they are underestimating how much their the fan base, how much unrest there is in the fan base generally. This was a what effectively was an opportunity to be a very positive story. Every time we did any content, whether it was a podcast, a YouTube video, we wrote about on our website, on our social media platforms, wherever we talked about Andretti, there was excitement, anticipation, and clearly appetite for this to happen. That doesn't mean F one has to let them in, but it does mean they have to be really aware of the fact that they have upset a large portion of their fan base with this. And it's all well and good having, as you said, a very legalese document that they think outlines their case. That's not enough to the average race-going or race-watching fan who is really upset with this, as well as being upset with lots of other things going on in F1. So it's... It's a longer term thing. They can't do anything today that fixes the fact they've upset the fan base yesterday with with what they've done. But they have to be mindful of it. And I have a fear that they are not because to come back to what we said earlier, as long as all the spreadsheets look good, as long as race ticket sales are great, I think they are willing to convince or perhaps kid themselves that actually everything's fine and it's just a few moaners on the internet. And it also seems very, very strange at a time when America is a big growth market for F1, doesn't it? I mean, I I don't know where you stand on the idea. There's a narrative around this that F1 hates American and looks down on America and there's this snobbish attitude. Do you think there's anything of that in this? It certainly gives ammo to those who'd argue that. I don't think that is the case. I, I think, you know, we have three American races now. The, the American fan base is, a, is, is really important to F1. And I do think F1 looks at the Andretti entry slightly cynically because of that, because they felt Andretti was going, we're American, 
we'll come in, let us in. Like, we want a piece of this just because we're American and you love America now. So I, I think that was an issue in the background, but I don't think... Uh, I don't think F1, as I said earlier, is looking down its nose at Andretti specifically because Andretti's American. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. This outcome would have happened regardless of where the team was. But yeah, does a lot of uh, does a lot of damage, uh, certainly. Right, Scott. Obviously, as we said, the fan reaction has been against this decision. If you look at the comment section on our stories on our website, where the Race Members Club discuss these stories, there's mostly annoyance at f1 and support of andretti there's a few contrary views certainly though so it's not 100 percent. you uh you did ask some of your twitter followers or ex-followers what they thought about it and got a pretty clear picture from that so how do you see this decision's impact on on f1 i asked my current followers on x just to clarify that they not that not they weren't my, they weren't previously my followers and now they're not <laughs> just to just to, just to stress that linguistic uh, quirk given the um, pointless rebranding of, of twitter um yeah so obviously it was over the response i've seen is, is overwhelmingly um negative and I am concerned that there are a lot of people for whom I, I, I agree with what Glenn has said a couple of times that it could be the straw that's broke the camel's back in that they can see F1 only going one way and this is just something that they can't reconcile. So I'm worried about that. My my main feeling at the moment though is um, the, is the immediate um, how is this resolved and does it make it look even worse for, for F1? Because all of that bigger stuff that we've talked about is something that plays out over a much longer period now, medium to long term. Um, the 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 you know fans could vote with their feet, or in this case, with their TV set or their 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 bank accounts, and stop following. But I think we'll only see that play out in the long term. In terms of whether F one changes because it real changes the way it's doing things because it realises it may have jumped the shark on the business side of things. That's something we'll only see in the long term. The, the in the here and now, it's what do you do? Like, is Andretti going to take action? Is the FIA and going to get involved in a way that causes a, a massive, even bigger bit of tension between the, the governing body and the commercial rights holder? Is Andretti going to stand by what it said and keep building the, the, the car, working on the car and the engine project and still just working on the basis it will get an entry? Because that's Andretti's position at the moment. They, they've strongly rejected the, F, uh, the F1 rejection. They disagree with um, what's been said about their application so that that to me is the is the big big thing now because f1 could look even worse before it starts to make the situation better yeah and the the key question for me here and this comes back to the political landscape and this is first and foremost i've said it's a political thing within f1 andretti is just part of that is if you're andretti you will be looking at this and saying right did we ever have a chance at the start of this process now regardless of whether you say andretti didn't approach it in exactly the right way regardless of whether Andretti should have been aware of some of those risks that's the key question because if you open a a process that requires investing of significant money and you can prove there was never really any chance there was never any chance of getting approved and some of this generic 11th team stuff is significant when it comes to that then somewhere you've probably got a case now I can't bring to bear expert legal analysis there's lots of different jurisdictions they could pursue this in and it will depend on the framing of some of the the elements of the invitation to to apply, but that's that's a big question in in the wider uh, scheme of things, and I don't think generally that will be 
a very good look for Formula One if you can say this was a little bit of a, of a trick process. It may or may not be. You can ask questions about Andretti's capabilities. I don't think the statement that that they'll they'll struggle to be com- properly competitive initially is is particularly wrong because I think any new team will take time. But I do think philosophically any new team does have to be given time. So I've got no problem with their coming with a customer engine for a few years and and ramp up again. It comes down to was this something that was made explicitly clear in the in the original application, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the sort of fundamental point here is there's a lot of detail here. But all most of the world will see is it's a big go to hell for a high profile big name American team at a time when America is a big target for F1. I think I, I, I agree with what Glenn said. I actually don't think there's a fundamental snobbish dislike of American racing and that kind of thing. I can understand why people think I don't think that's the case. But this is an outright rejection in that regard. So big question marks there about the growth, etc. And if you're a fan, you're right to look at this and say, what what's going on here? Because people also do want more teams on the grid as well. The bottom line is, is that there there are some fundamental issues with F1's rationale that we've raised. But even the elements of the rationale that you can you can make a case for and say that that is at least valid is horrific for the optics. And the optics do matter because for F1 in America, this is a bad look. For F1 to potential new uh, entrants and manufacturers this is a bad look and to existing fans and maybe even new fans it's a very bad look and, and and that does matter you can't just brush it off and uh, as a uh, oh it's a 24-hour storm we need to ride it out and then it'll all be okay that this stuff can have lasting impacts uh, uh, can have a lasting impact and, and it might be one that f1 eventually feels as well it could end up being something tangible whether that is on the fan side the partner side the rate the, the race side because there might be US cities or opportunities in the US that go, well, actually, I don't think you're taking this seriously, so we're not interested. There are a lot of potential consequences for this. And in the short term, it's nothing but a bad look for F1. And like I say, the optics matter. Yeah, very, very much so, especially seeing as this has been coming. Ultimately, we knew this was very likely to happen. And the whole process has taken a long time. The whole process just looks incompetent for F1, for F1 as a whole. And again, it comes back to this thing of doesn't matter if FI did it and F1 didn't want it, et cetera, et cetera. F1 is a collective and F1, that's what it's selling. It's selling the whole of F1. Nobody's a fan of the commercial rights holder and not the FI. Maybe there's a few <laughs> very engaged fans who do. But the product is F1 as a whole. And to me, this just signals they all need to get their act together. What happens next is going to be quite significant because there is potential for some sort of legal action. And if I was in Andretti's position, I certainly wouldn't be content to lean back and say oh 2028 will be all right the first thing i'd be saying to them is right you say 28 what can we do now to get that locked in what what needs to happen so lots of big questions to be asked there well thanks very much to scott and glenn for your insight head to the race.com don't forget the hyphen loads to read there about the andretti situation and the wider world of formula one of course we've got the launches starting to come thick and fast the first one being the reveal of the Hass tomorrow on friday the 2nd of february also check out our other podcasts including bring back v10 starring glenn freeman our indycar formula e and moto gp podcasts and the race f1 tech show with the legendary gary anderson and also have a look at our youtube channel loads of videos to watch there including the one about andretti that scott has mentioned a couple of times well we're certain there's going to be more about this andretti controversy as we have to call it in the coming weeks so stay with us for everything you need to know for the world of formula one
The Athletic.